One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. People can change anything they want to, and that means everything in the world. Show me any country, and there'll be people in it. It's time to take the humanity back into the center of the ring and follow that for a time. You know, think on that. Without people, you're nothing. Without people, you're nothing. Stoke the fire. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a, another edition, another installment of Stoke the Fire. As always, we're your hosts, Matt Stocks and Jesse Leach. You may detect in my voice. <laughs> a slight difference in tone today, Jesse. I've got to come clean with you in the entrance of uh, transparency. This is my first hungover podcast of, tw- <laughs> of 2021. But in my defense, last night was the, the finals of the European Championships. Uh, England got through to the final. It was the first time we'd gotten through to you know, a final of any level of that kind of um, tournament since, I think, 66 when we won the World Cup. So it's you know 50-odd years in the making. And I don't even like football. And I don't really have any invested interest in the sport, but just the national momentum that's been building in this country over the last few weeks was so profound. And it felt like a lot of nationwide healing was really taking place. And there were some people who kind of let the side down in the in the last sort of 24 hours. A lot of the news has focused on some of the violence and vandalism that went down after we lost. And then also some of the racist slurs which were aimed at at some of our players, but that feels like a really small minority and it's just, you know, unfortunately an embarrassingly loud one, but it is a small one. And on the whole, like the team just did the country so proud and it's just been for me the first time in my life I've ever felt pride over being English. And so it's been a really beautiful time. And so that peaked last night with with quite the night. So yeah, I'm a little bit ropey today, but I'm excited to be here. A ropey, I like that. How could you not? I mean, it's people celebrating and, and being in a good headspace we're coming out of a very strange time man i get it i would i don't care about any kind of sports at all but i would i probably would have been right there with you dude that's yeah it looked like a good time from what i saw on instagram (laughs) yeah i I had uh the the pleasure of kind of just having the the best house party to go to and i was djing it as well and yeah it was just like kegs hot tubs it felt like spring break it was amazing but um and when you're djing too that's you can't help but jump in the party with that that's that sounds like a lot of fun man well, I DJed three nights in a row before the football game as well because that was my first time back DJing in 18 months. So it's it's been a huge, huge, huge week of kind of rebirth and, and <laughs> a lot of fun's been had. But we're not here to talk about that. Time is kind of tight today as well. We've only got our guests for the hour. So let's just jump straight into it. Jesse, why don't you tell everybody watching and or listening um, just the amazing guest that we're thrilled and, and honored to be joined by today and then we'll get him on the show. Yeah, he's super talented. You know, everybody knows who he is, I'm sure. But more importantly for me, he's just a great dude. Miles Kennedy. Come on down, bro. Hey. <laughs> yeah, oh. man. It's good to see you guys. Wow, with an intro like that, I, uh, I don't know what to say. I'm, uh, I think someone fooled you along the way. There's no, no talent here, and I, I, could be a, I could be a real asshole. <laughs> all lies, all lies. Yeah. You know, humility as well is something that's rare in this game with, with people who are at your level, and you've, you've always exuded that. Um, Jesse, Miles and I had a podcast together for my other show recently, which I know you caught, and it was funny because halfway through that, 
Miles just started talking about this age-old tradition of storytelling around the campfire. And it was like, boom. Um, do you know Jesse? He was like, I know Jesse. I love Jesse. I was like, we've got to get you on our show as well. So I'd like to kind of start, if it's okay with you two, hearing about your friendship, your connection. Where does that begin? Because um, I gather it's not just like a casual acquaintancy thing. There's like a mutual kind of admiration and respect that, that yeah. flows both ways with you two. So Jesse, why don't you take it away? Yeah, it was quite random. And um, um, just side note, I think we should use that as like a soundbite for, for Stoke the Fire movie. Maybe we could do a new intro with just Miles talking about what he said. But uh, yeah, if, if I recall, the first time I officially met you was at dinner. Uh, we went to, um, oh, what the hell's the name of that place? Uh, Chef Santos spot, uh, Beauty in Essex. Yeah, that's right. In Manhattan. We had dinner, and you and I just happened to sit next to each other. And I knew who you were. But we didn't really even talk much about our bands. We just talked about tour life. We talked about, I think Jeff Buckley was part of the conversation. Music, being sort of sensitive dudes. And, you know, I had a bit to drink that night. But from what I remember, it was just a really nice down-to-earth talk with a nice guy. Like, there was no rock star ego. There's none of that. Because you never know. Like, in this business, you get either the guys who are total pricks, which they're not a ton of them, or you get the guys who... They just, they take their stage persona and bring it to the, around the table and entertain everybody. Then you have sort of the humble, quiet, just regular people that are asking people questions more so than being like, hey, check me out. And you really came off as the latter, just a, a really nice, humble dude. So I remember our interaction just being friendly, you know? That was a really, that was a cool introduction. Uh, we, I remember we had a mutual friend, Morgan. And she had, for a long time, had, had been saying, oh, you guys have to meet. And so um, she, it's like she just kind of knew we were, we were on the same page, uh, I guess, as far as our, uh, our personalities. And, and she, she, made, she made a love connection. So, uh, so yeah, it was, I remember that was a really, that was a great evening. And uh, we were talking, I remember we talked about Jeff Buckley. I think Thrice was another one. Yes, uh, mutual respect for certain certain bands and artists. So yeah, that was cool. So it's great. It's how many years ago was that? Was it like four years ago? Well, that's my, no, that's got to be longer than that, dude. That's got to be at least six or seven years, man. Wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Time flies when you're uh, touring, and then you stop touring, and and life happens. And then I remember speaking to you at a, a festival we were both playing. You were playing at the same time that Killswitch was playing. I think it was in Canada. And we crossed paths briefly and you were talking about having to take all the grit out of your voice and we kind of talk technique briefly, but it wasn't, you know, super long conversation, but my interactions with you have always just been like, this guy's great, but just zero rock star bullshit, which I love about you. Well, you're both you... like that for me. I've, I've kind of always noticed that quality in both of you, that kind of down to earth humility, um, which as you say is, is quite rare and, and it's cool when you meet someone else like that, right? Hmm. It's, it's nice. I've always, my thing with the, you know, there are some people who are hardwired to kind of be on all the time or they, um, and that's cool. I mean, it's part of that rock star persona, but for, for me, I'm too lazy. <laughs> I mean, I just, I don't know how they do it. Sometimes I, I get around these guys who are, who, who are on all the time and I'm like, wow, man, that's, that's got to take a lot of energy. And I'm just, I've got just enough to use it on stage for that finite period of time. And then it's like, okay, put that guy in the, you know, put him in the refrigerator. Let's just kind of mellow out for the other 23 or 22 hours. But, uh, but yeah. <laughs> yeah Slash, Slash is super mellow, right? He seems I, like he's oh, a super yeah. mellow dude. Super mellow, super chill. Yeah. 
That's nice. I uh, I find that people who are on all the time tend to be on something to be on all the time. <laughs> you know? Because I think sometimes it takes that type of a, a thing because to, to maintain that energy when you're sober, I mean, Ted Nugent can do it, but there's not a lot of people that can maintain that sort of on persona without being tied up in some t- some type of a substance to keep you doing that. So, you know, I don't think that's the best way. So that's why for me, I just hide. You know, I just, <laughs> when I'm not on stage, if people are around, I usually just hide. I don't want to talk about Are you that way too? Because I, I kind of, I guess I'm kind of a recluse, you know, I'm the guy that doesn't, uh, and I feel bad about it sometimes because I, I play in, in bands with, with guys, some guys, not, not all the members, but guys who like that kind of let's all hang out and, and, um, and I do love to hang out, but I also like my quiet time, my me, my me time. And, and some, so, yeah, I mean, when you're off tour, how often do you hang out with your, your buddies or are you strictly in the house all the time locked away? Yeah, I would say up until the pandemic, um, because we only had a couple weeks break, I would very rarely see friends. I would lose touch with people because of it. And you're right. I feel bad about it, but I also have to maintain my sanity um, and my peace of mind. But uh, during the pandemic, now that we're coming out of it and I'm starting, you know, have friends I haven't seen, I'm going out of my way to see my friends now. And I think, Moving forward, it's probably going to change a little bit, but I will always be that person that needs to get away. You know, if we've got a park nearby uh, the venue, I'll get my bike out and I'll go and just sit and be quiet. And then pre- preserving my voice because between the screaming, yelling, and singing, uh, sometimes it just takes it out of me, man. And I can't, I can't go into a social environment and just talk because in the back of my mind, I'm like, rest, I got to rest. Right. I know. I think we talked a little bit about that, that the idea that you have like, a certain amount of minutes or words you can use a day when you're on tour. And anytime I'm talking to him, I'm like, Oh, starting to feel it creeping in. It's going to be tired for tonight. Am I going to be able to hit that one note? Am I going to start going flat during the show? You know, it's, it's like, I have a friend um, who he said, he said that once he said the lonely life of a lead singer, you know, on tour that is. And yeah. there's, there's, but then there are guys who can just talk all day and it doesn't seem to affect them. So yeah, that, that annoys the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> right. No vocal warm-ups, no nothing like oh, chain I know smoking. A and they're amazing singers, and I'm like, "Fuck you, man!" <laughs> <laughs> so you've both been doing a lot of talking recently, obviously around both of your, you know, respective album kind of promotional campaigns, um, and it's you know it's taken us quite a while to to actually get the three of us all together here today. Um, Miles, when you and I were talking in my show, you were talking a lot about how much you really enjoyed the process of doing interviews and, and talking and connecting with people um which is the sole kind of driving force behind this show um but i wonder if the pair of you could perhaps shed some light on your mutual experiences with religion growing up and the the impact that that had on your worldview um then and in, indeed now as well um jesse do you want to kick it off because we just had jesse's dad on the show miles um and he was a a man of faith and, and I guess still is. And so we got oh, yeah. into some of it then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when I look back on it and it's fun, it's funny cause I actually have been reflecting a lot about that lately. Cause on the new times of grace album, there's a song um, called far from heavenless that deals directly with where I'm at and where I've been transitioning out of sort of indoctrination, indoctrinated thinking and, you know, having been a religious person most of my life and sort of freeing myself of that and allowing myself to think outside of 
what I believe is the confines of, of religion. And as much as my childhood was, was restricted, there are certain ideals I still carry with me, the positive stuff, you know, and, and my father and mother are still very much, they go to church every Sunday, sometimes twice a week. My dad still preaches, even though he's retired. Um, they're lifers, you know, they, and they want so bad for the family to be in touch with that and, you know, the whole idea of salvation. So it's something I tread very lightly on when I talk about it in public, but, you know, it's been a process, a really eye-opening process for me and liberating. And, and I found a lot of peace in not having to know all the answers and not sort of going, you know, my faith is the period on the sentence. I'm, I'm open to the conversation now, and I'm actually quite curious what people have to say about it. And to me, I've, I've found it liberating, allowing myself to think outside of how I was raised and continue to like become who I am and newly finding who I am, my new footing in not having the answers and just being open. That's really well put, man. <laughs> really beautifully <laughs> articulated. I mean, there's no way I can follow that. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, a, that's, it's true. It's, it's, it's an ongoing process. And I think for me personally, it comes the same background. You know, I come from a, a family of faith and um, in a way I'm, I think I'm probably the only person in my direct family who probably doesn't believe the same thing they do, but they respect that and they're, and they're cool with it and they, and they, and they understand. Um, but for me, yeah, there's, there's just, I haven't found those absolutes. You know, there are some people who have faith and it's such a, it's such, it's, it's, it's so concrete in their life. And I, and I actually envy that. I think that's when I see somebody who believes that I'm like, wow, that's really impressive that you, you, you have that. Um, but I started asking questions really early on, you know, my, 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 I call my second dad, um, cause my, my bio- biological father passed away when, when I was four. And so my second dad, who's amazing, I used to ride with him to, uh, he had two, he had two, he he had two gigs every Sunday, you know, he was a, he's a Methodist minister. And so he had like the one gig at like nine thirty, and then the second one at 11 at a different church, smaller rural churches, um, here in, outside of Spokane. So I'd ride with him occasionally to the first one and we just start getting, I was like eight, nine years old. And we just start getting in these discussions. And I started asking questions that he told me later on, he goes, I thought you were like this budding young theologian. He, he's like, you just asked me these really heavy questions. And in a lot of ways, I felt like a lot of those questions never were fully, no one really had the answers I was looking for. Even as a man who's been on the planet now, you know, five, how many, I don't even know how many decades have I been a long time since dinosaurs roamed the earth. Um, but, but yeah, so those questions were never answered. So my journey is still continuing. I don't know about you, but I'm still on a, a spiritual quest. And I've, I think I've found a certain solace in, in, I guess, mysticism in, in I think that since I discovered guys like Ram Dass and, uh, Alan Watts, and th- there were some things that they were some concepts that they were throwing down that really, for whatever reason, connected with me. And, and I kind of look at life like what religion and, and um, whatever your belief structure is, that's the operating system that works for you. And it was kind of like the operating system that I had as a young person that, that my family has used for a long time. It's maybe that, that was Microsoft. Maybe that was, maybe that was, um, you know, the, that, 
particular operating system and I was more of an Apple <laughs> OS, you know? So, and it, at this point it's, it's working at this point. I feel, I feel good. Um, but you could, we could have the same conversation in 10 years and I could be on a different, different part of the journey. It's, it's an ongoing thing for me. Yeah. I find myself in the same, in the same boat and I know that it's worrisome sometimes to my folks and that's why I have to have conversations with them that have depth. I can't just like shrug it off because they're very concerned about, you know, my soul and salvation and all this. And I appreciate that, but yeah, I, I have found more peace in the past year and a half, two years, especially during the pandemic too, of just going out in nature, reading books. And you mentioned mysticism. Mysticism is a big one. And thankfully my father's been getting into that as well. So he's actually evolving as well, which is really interesting. But yeah, I like how you, uh, how you describe that. How do you think that bleeds over into your, your personal relationships? I see for me personally, I start to view uh, my relationships slightly differently in the way that I talk to people. I've become a lot more, a better listener, really, I think, because of the journey that I've been on. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I feel like my, my journey at this point, so much of it is about killing the human ego. And so with that, I don't feel the need to have to, oh, here, here's me, here, here I am, here's what I think about something, you know, enough about, enough about me, what do you think of me? You know, it's like that, that I've tried to take any of that, any, any little piece of that and just crush it with the things that I've started to embrace more because it's, I realize it's about, it's at the end of the day, it's about being present and and really just developing a level of empathy and learning to listen and not needing to show who I am and just be a, a better, a better brother, you know, to my, to my fellow humans. And that's something that, um, I'm still working at. And there are days when I'm, I feel like I'm getting, I'm getting better. And then there are days when I'm like, man, you really did not, <laughs> you did not uh, achieve, uh, what you set out to do when you got up that morning. So it's a, it's I'm a work in progress, you know. I love that. One of us, dude. One of us. Um, you mentioned that you, you kind of had a second father in your life. Would you say you really lucked out with, with with him? Because obviously, you know, you lost your biological father so young, and so many people who do lose, you know, their dads never get that second figure in their life, so they go that their whole life without, you know, that kind of guidance and leadership and support. Um, so yeah, was was your second dad a huge part of your growth and development as a person as well and do you feel like you lucked out with him luck is an understatement brother <laughs> i mean this guy glenn is a so the so my 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 father passes away and we live in boston things are heavy mom takes my brother and i and we leave and we end up in wisconsin mom's trying to start over and uh you know, it's tough being a, a single mom with two little brats. And, um, so long story short, my mother and my soon to be, uh, stepfather get set up on a blind date he, and they, they, she flies from Wisconsin. He lives in Nez Perce, Idaho. They meet in Spokane, Washington. Three days later, they're engaged. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And that was 44 years ago. Um, and they're still married. Uh, just, you know, they're, they're beautiful together. And he, he took me under his wing and treated me as, as if I was his own flesh and blood. And I've never thought about it 
In fact, somebody, I was talking with somebody yesterday. I was thinking I was talking with my wife, somebody. You know how it's sometimes in comedies, there's like, the, you, you're not my real dad. You know, there's like, I, I, don't, I don't know who did that. Someone said that. And, and maybe it was my wife. She said, did you ever be angry at your father, at your stepdad? And did you ever say that? As in, I would never say that. He's as much my real dad as my biological dad because everything that I am, I learned from him and how he, how he, he, he walked the talk, man. He's like, he is a, an absolute manifestation of everything that I aspire, that I would like to be one day, you know? And, um, so yeah, I feel very, very grateful for, for, for the fact that he came into our lives. Wow, that's beautiful, man. I love that. And three days. I thought my parents were six weeks. I used to tell people that I was shocking. Like six weeks and they got married. Three days. <laughs> it's amazing. Well, you know, you that just goes to show you you could you never do know. You can never tell the power of love and the fact that he just embraced you like that. That's kind of a rare thing. I mean, I've heard it, but you know, to to fully embrace that without dysfunction, without anything going awry. And, and, and you, you know, as a grown man, don't look back on that and say, you know, I had this issue. I had that. I'd question this. That's incredible, man. That's a, I don't even know what to say. That's a, that's beautiful, man. I love that. I love I that. Wish y'all, I wish y'all could meet him because people, when they meet him, I, I watched it growing up, how the church was people just, he was such a, I don't like to use this term, but he was just kind of a rock star just because he was, and not in a, like, look at me. Like he was, he's a very down to earth just beautiful human being. And so to have that day in and day out and watch how he conducts himself, um, man, what a, what a wonderful thing. And, uh, yeah, we should, have can, the show. <laughs> we should, we yeah. should get Miles's dad on. So would you say that perhaps your early interest in performing may have even come from watching him do his thing? Took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, he's man, he's, when he gets up there and does his thing, it's, it's just so, it's not fire and brimstone. It's it, for, for him. I, I think that it was so much about grace. His, I, he was one of those guys where a lot of his, his sermons weren't based on fire, you know, revelations and, you, you know, kind of scaring you into, 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 uh, uh, what's the, what's the term? What do they call it? Turn or burn? There's like a, a term for it, you know, like your eternal salvation. His whole thing was was, or is, about Jesus and the cool things he did. You know, not to get religious and whatnot, but that was kind of hit. The fundamentals were like the the gospels, and yeah. so it was fun to listen to him talk about that. Um, and yeah, he just had a certain charisma. He just had a certain like confidence i just watch him he's a bigger guy and he just kind of commands he walks up there and you can't help but you know how some some artists like artists or people they just have that x factor where you just like wow that's that dude's cool (laughs) and command your attention right my father was the same exact way his eye contact his the way he would use his hands for body language was accurate so he would just draw your attention. You, you couldn't fall asleep. You couldn't not take your eyes off him for the 10, 15, back in the day, 20 to a half hour, he would do his sermon. And, you know, it's funny because my conversation with Matt and my dad, we talked about exactly this. And I think I did learn a lot from him. I don't think I'm even close to his power and the way he carries himself. But 
I had a similar thing too. Like people love and admire my dad because of that as well. And he's definitely, my dad was definitely both law and gospel. You got both for sure. But I always loved when it was the gospel sermons. I always go, ah, do you like exhale? Like, okay, ah, this is not so bad. <laughs> right. Right. Did, so what did, what did your father think of you in your musical career? How, did, how was the support system there? Well, that's going to go right back to, you know, that question's coming right back at you. Know, that's like one of the things I wanted to ask you, man, you're reading my head. Um, yes. I think initially, initially he was concerned, you know, he's uh, he's a guy with, you know, two master's degrees and a PhD. So he's a learned man. So he definitely was pushing for me because he thought, you know, theology, but also like, um, you know, I was always pondering the world. I would ask him the deep questions as well. So he wanted me to get into um, philosophy. He was pushing philosophy big time for me. So I actually went to college for <laughs> college. I went to junior college for about uh, three weeks to, to start to study. And yeah, I quit and my band went on tour and it was like, nope, I'm not doing this. But initially he was not into it. And then he started to see what I was talking about when I started to come into my own and talk about love and unity and all the things I talk about. Now, I kind of got the seal of approval from a distance with him. My mom was 100% gung-ho, like she would drop me off at shows. She was, she had my back. My dad did it quietly for a while until he saw that things were happening and I was starting to make a little money and there was a possibility of a career, I think, you know, and I don't fault him for that, you know, he wanted me to have a good life and little did he know I would, I would have a good life. But uh, yeah, back to you. How was that with your dad as well? Well, it was both my, my, my father and my mother wanted me to play music. My mom in particular initially, and she kind of forced, forced my hand. She, oh, I remember uh, I was out playing soccer. I was like 10 years old or something. She's like, tomorrow, the, the, uh, and it was the beginning of the school year. She's like, um, th basically, the music store is coming around. We can, we can rent instruments, and I want you to pick an instrument. I want you to play an instrument. I'm like, oh, mom, I want to play soccer. You know, I didn't, I wasn't ready at that, at that point. So I, I did. I started playing the trumpet thanks to my mom. And then a few years li later, I, you know, I hear eruption and a whole lot of love one afternoon, and I'm like, what is the guitar? You know, what does this thing do? So that started that journey. And I actually started that to learn on my biological father's guitar that he left behind after he passed away because he started playing not too long before he, before he died. And so that was cool to, you know, learn some riffs and whatnot on that guitar. It felt like connection to my dad. Now, as far as Glenn and my, my second dad, um, it was interesting because I, when I started really turning into a young metalhead, I think he was a little concerned, like, especially when we went to Kmart and I wanted to get Screaming for Vengeance by Judas Priest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the deal was basically like, okay, you can, you can get this, but I want to listen to it with you. So I'll never forget. We go home. He set up my boom box. He lays down with his head against the speakers. And, you know, it starts out the Hellion and, and Electric Eye and, and I can tell he's just like not really sure what to think. You know, Rob Halford's doing his thing. It's incredible. We get three songs into it. He, go, he just finally leans up and he goes, son, I don't understand a word he's saying. <laughs> Crack on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, that brings back so many memories for me. I did the same thing, just reading the lyrics and like yeah, my dad being like, I don't know. Nothing too terrible here, I guess. <laughs> right. right. 
Yeah, but back then though, that was you know it was a, a concern, especially through the eighties. You know, I was talking about this on the the last episode with my pops about the satanic panic, like. There was a whole thing going on there where people were really concerned that you know kids were doing ritual sacrifices and i just remember that was everywhere all over the, the news and you know i was just fascinated by it because i didn't understand and they were grouping bands like journey into that too which is hysterical in retrospect but yeah it's it's amazing how p- parents just so hands-on but yeah i love that your mom that's you never hear that like you're gonna play <laughs> they're gonna yeah. play an instrument. that's funny she was really support. She really wanted that because she wanted to play an instrument when she was growing up, and she came from her her parents couldn't make it happen from a financial standpoint. So, and we weren't. We certainly weren't. Uh, you know, I wasn't one of the rich kids. That's for sure. But she, they had my folks had enough where they could rent this trumpet for I don't know. It was a few bucks a month, and and made it made it work. And I'm really glad they did because I feel like when I started to play guitar, I felt like it came quicker. Like it was more like. The, the fundamentals were had been laid down. I understood what a treble clef was and I understood how to read music and all that. So it helped. But uh, yeah, she, she was very, very supportive. It's beautiful that you felt that sense of connection to your dad as well through the guitar and, and through music. And I did want to ask you, I hope you don't mind me asking, I know you sort of talked about it in the, the lead up to the, the first solo record that you did, which is a beautiful album, The Year of the Tiger, such a good album. Um, and you know, obviously a lot of the influence and inspiration behind that record was losing your dad and the nature of his death. Um, did you have to battle at any point with, you know, your anger towards the Christian science faith because of, you know, your dad's choice to not seek medical attention when, when he was sick and that was what led to his passing. So did you have to wrestle with that yourself and did your mum have kind of spiritual doubts and, you know, a moment of crisis as well in that regard? Good question. Um, yeah, I look, I'm not going to, I was, I think pretty angry for a long time. I, I really, I really was. Um, and because I feel like he didn't have to pass away that he did. It was something that could have been taken care of. It was with the coroner thought was appendicitis and they just never went and saw a doctor because of Christian science. You, doctors aren't really the thing at least they weren't back when when my family was in it so yeah I think I went through a long time trying to deal with all of that and um, writing Year of the Tiger was really helpful I feel like it really helped get a lot of that out of my system and I don't feel angry anymore I really don't I feel like uh, there's there's you know there's been closure without a doubt hmm I got a question for you, um, skipping right to what we're talking about. You know, s- solo music, I'm always intrigued by that. It's something that I have for many, many years sort of attempted on my own and just never really followed through. And even during this pandemic, I, I taught myself piano again and really just kind of wanted to express myself outside of all the music that I do. You know, and I know you started out correct me if I'm wrong, more of a a studio guy, correct? Before you like had the spotlight on you, was it therapeutic too to go back and like be, have your own sort of uh, point of view and not have anyone telling you how to do it or what to do or fix that? I mean, doing a solo record to me just seems so liberating, but also so daunting. Where did you, where were you when you just like, I've got to do this? 
You know, I think it was something that I'd been chipping away at for a long time, thinking about doing. And I, and I, I'm the kind of guy who needs to write a lot. I, I in fact, it, it's interesting because over the last few months, I told myself I, I don't want to write, and I don't want to. I just will noodle on the guitar, but I'm not going to write any songs. And I got to be straight up, not the best thing for the way I'm hardwired. I'm I, I have a very I think it's how I've dealt with anxiety and depression for as long as I can remember. And, and, and that, and that, excuse my French, but that, that shit gets pretty dark pretty quick. And so if I don't have that thing to focus on, I'll focus on stuff that's just, I don't want, I go places I don't want to go in my head. So, so yeah, I knew I needed, I had these other things, but when those things aren't going, I need to fill the space with the solo stuff. And, um, so the beauty of that is that um, you get to try things that you normally wouldn't get to do in in the in the in the other projects, and so it helps you lets you stretch out, lets you experiment, and then when you go back to those other projects, you're kind of invigorated and you've gotten a lot of those things off your chest. And I feel like it's kind of helped my writing game to a degree. I feel like it's made me um, understand things a little better and evolve. And once again. It helps that guy who's that work in progress to continue to go try and try and get to the place he wants to be someday. Yeah, I think you just kind of gave me a eureka moment. I think that's why I wrote so much during the pandemic, because I also have anxiety. And even just the past few days, I've just been spinning my wheels because all I've been doing is interviews, but I haven't been creative. And it's it's starting to wear on me. It really is. It's funny. Wow. Yeah. Maybe that's why I wrote so much music during the pandemic. But Unlike you, I, I like I don't know if I'm ever gonna put it out. <laughs> I don't know. It's a work in progress. You gotta but, do it. Uh, yeah, but it, it does sort of change your perception on your other music because rehearsing with the Killswitch Boys recently too. I just I see it differently because I've been away from it for so long. Yeah, you just kind of blew my mind a little bit. I think I uh I think I just had a Eureka moment. Thanks to you, Miles. <laughs> well, I, I would love to hear your solo stuff, man. I mean, I think that. I think, um, and I think the f- fans would too. I'm, 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 I'm going to press you on it. I'm going to, I'm going to be that guy. Hey, I'm going to send you texts. It's dark but, and it's different and it's piano driven, you know, and it's quiet and it's, you know, there's nothing about it that's anything similar to anything I've ever done. And that's why I love it though. You know, it's, it's nature based. If I could be so bold, it's kind of like Gothic with a bit of dead can dance mixed in It's tribal. Like it's wow. not, it's not plugged in whatsoever. And it's very uh, nature themed. And I think some people would dig it, but I also, some people would be like, wow, this dude is eating mushrooms way too much. <laughs> Maybe the, the thing with Miles's first solo album, like the second one is more in line with what he's known for with Alter Bridge and Slash. But that first solo album from you is so different. And I mean, how did you find that the response to that first thing? Because for me, I remember telling you in the chat we had, it's the most purest thing you've done. And obviously as a solo kind of record, that by its nature would be that, right? Because there's no other influence or filters that it's going through. It's all you. But how did you find the reaction and the response to that first record? I think I was surprised I, I because I did. It's interesting hearing Jesse talk about what he th- thinks people might uh, might feel about that other side of his artistic um, persona. And I, I felt the same things, the same concerns. And I was genuinely surprised with the fact that people were like, oh, well, this is him just being his authentic musical self. 
And and sure, there were people who didn't like it, and that's that's fine. But I was surprised with the number of people who were willing to give it a chance. I was really pretty blown away because it's a it's an acoustic record, and I'm known as the hard rock, you know, high singing, ah, you know, like like <laughs> what is this? And but I but what I've learned is that people when they're when something is from the heart, they tend to give it a chance. Rock, you know. People, human beings want to hear honesty. They that that they they want to see honesty. Like when you go to a when you go to a an art exhibit, you want to see an artist that's presenting what's what's here. And it's the same thing with with music. Um, so Jesse, if you're being honest and it's coming from a, an authentic place, I think you're going to be surprised with how people react. Mm. Yeah. No, I know, and I love that you say that. It's something that I. And I think on a personal level, I think that's what it is too. It's because you're dealing with music and expression is one thing, right? And you're talking about honesty. And I think for me, I guess it's the the part of me I'm still working on. And I know you had mentioned this in the Life of in Life in the Stocks interview you guys just did recently. I loved that. You were like, I realized at one point that I had more work to do on me because of my concerns. And I think you know, I was listening to that just the other day and it kind of struck me. I was like, yeah, I think I, as much as I had did a ton of work during this pandemic, a ton, you know, um, I'm, I still got a ways to go. And I think for me, I love what I'm doing with my solo stuff. To me, it's something I would listen to. And I think that should be enough. Right. And it's I, for some reason it's not. And I think I got to still figure that out. You know, why do I care so much about what people think about me? Who, who cares? Why should I care? I don't know. I'm, I'm not quite there yet, but I, I'll work on it. I'll work on it. <laughs> hey, and there's no, you know what? And there's nothing wrong with admitting that. That is part of how, you know, look, we all have our, have a need to be accepted by our fellow humans, right? And I think that, and I still am working on that, but it did get to a point with me where I, I had to, it's kind of like we were talking about earlier with that ego thing, with that realizing that my ego, ultimately, if I could just get out of the way of myself, mm. I'm going to be a lot happier. And we so much, so many people, we get in the way of ourselves. We get in the way of who we truly are because we're afraid of what other people are going to think of us and they're not going to like what's really right here. And you know what? I got to the point where I was just like, fuck it. I don't, I can't live my life worried about what everybody thinks of me. What do I think of me? What do I need to express while I'm still breathing oxygen? Because you know what? If I'm on my deathbed one day and I haven't shown this other side of me and this, this part that's just dying to get out, I'm going to regret that, man. No regrets. No regrets. Profound words, my friend. Um, yeah. And, I guess that's it really. It's just, it's a personal thing. And uh, I gotta, I gotta sort of work on that. But I love that you, you know, I love the way you're talking about it. It's very in inspirational because I don't think a lot of people think about music this deeply. You know, when you're talking about being in a band, you're surrounded by other guys, you're sharing that load. But to me, like when you strip all that away and it's just you, take the music away. Like that's you bearing your soul without anyone else's sort of like input or reinforcement really. And I think that's probably the big thing for me is I'm so used to just, 
you know, if I may be honest with you, standing on the shoulders of giants, like working alongside Adam D, who like is just this incredible producer and, and songwriter and almost everything I've ever done is with him. And he really has that sort of uh, quality control. And, and for me, like, you know, the stuff that I want to do, some of it's abstract, some of it's strange, but maybe that's what's going to make it good, you know, but I guess it's all, it's all in your head and you're right. Get out of your own way. I love that. I think that can apply to anybody listening. You got to get out of your own way. Cause we are essentially our own worst enemy when it comes to our creativity and our progression and the way we see the world, our perception. And that's something I learned a lot during, you know, this whole lockdown thing because the, you know, the tour bus wheels stopped rolling and you're faced with you. I mean, can you speak on that? What was that like for you when, you got home and it was, you know, we've had breaks, but I don't know. Have you ever had a break this long, Miles? <laughs> it's like you, you get to that point where you're like, well, who am I without all this stuff? And I know you're able to create, but without that audience, without the tour, without that reciprocation, where did that take you during this time? Some interesting places, you know, I, I needed it in, in a certain respect because I'd been touring for so long at such an intense pace. And so initially, I, I, it was nice to wake up in my bed, and it was nice to hang out with my wife and my dog every day. And then I started writing the Ides of March, and it was nice to be able to work in my studio nonstop. But yeah, once all of that was done, then you start to deal with those other things that, we, that I kind of alluded to earlier. Those, I always call them monsters of the mind. And, I, and when those little, whatever that is, starts running around in there yeah that can be um because you're out of that you're out of that routine you're you're out of that okay you wake up you do sound check get meet and greets you know whatever it is and that keeps you busy and uh when you're suddenly left to your own devices that can that can take you uh, in some very bizarre uh, for at least how i'm hardwired you know some some things i had to work through so so yeah uh with that said though there are things that i've really I'm, I've, I've learned about myself and I've absolutely love getting to hang out with my, my wife all the time. And, and we adopted a cat, uh, the neighborhood feral cat, which had been coming around for a while. I should say he adopted us. He's um, <laughs> just rad. His, his name is Azrael and he's this black, he's like, the, he's a black, um, I think they call him Bombay. I can't forget what they're called, but I don't know why somebody hasn't, if someone abandoned this cat, they are just a bad person because he's so cool. He's just big, like beautiful, and he loves affection. I went out, to, I got up this morning and I went and sat out in the backyard and, and he usually sleeps at night or he goes outside at night and we don't know what he does. He's just, you know, he's still an outdoor cat. I love cats for that. God knows what they get up to out there <laughs> right. on the streets at night. <laughs> <laughs> They're so dangerous. Um, and I hear meow. He's kind of like the Barry White of cats because it's a really low voice. <laughs> like meow. And I'm like, as a cat, where are you? And he just runs up to me, hops on my lap, and he wants to be pet. He's real aggressive about wanting pets and stuff. So little things, I can't do that when I'm on the road. You know, I can't bring as a cat out on the tour bus because so many people, including myself, I'm actually allergic to cats. But he's he's so cool. I'm, I'm willing to sneeze through that one. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And yeah, a huge part of this last 18 month period for, for nearly everybody that I've spoken to has been about that personal growth, which at first is difficult, isn't it? As I think we all share is like 
the way of running sometimes from the problems is by staying busy and productive and creative. Um, but when you can't run anywhere else and you're just left looking at yourself in the mirror and you have to kind of face up to some of those things that you've perhaps been putting away, it is difficult, but you come out of it if you're lucky enough to. You come out better and stronger and wiser, don't you? And more humble. Absolutely. Without, you know, without a doubt. So I think, you know, I think, yeah, those of us who work, the workaholic types, we've had a real, uh, you know, we've kind of had to come to terms with a few things over the last year or so. And uh, especially touring musicians. So it's been good. I, you know, I'm, I, I feel like I've evolved a little bit. So cool. Yeah, same. It's funny you mentioned workaholics because I think that's what it is, right? Why are you so busy all the time? What is it about the busy brain? You know, and I, I do think, you know, there's been there are friends of mine, very people who are very close to me that spiraled and for the first time in their lives spiraled into an actual depression because they couldn't handle not doing anything. And, you know, I'm going back to what you're saying about life on the road. People think, you know, this this common misconception of like what life on the road is, you know, freedom parties, all this like weird shit that people think we do when we're actually just creatures of habit. There's a routine. And if, if you're a healthy touring musician, you got like this thing that you got to do. You got to do press sound. Like you mentioned sound check, you know, I do exercise, stretching, meditation, make sure you get your meal in hours before, like just all these things that you just have to do. And, and once that was gone for me, yeah, I just sat with myself and at first it was very difficult, but you know, you mentioned cats. I have two and, um, I'm such a cat guy. We could do a whole thing on cats. Um, I won't go down that rabbit hole. But, uh, little things, right? Like I would just sit and be, and I've never, I don't really have time for that for the most part. Like my brain won't allow me to do it. So teaching myself how to sit and just be, and to, to really reflect on a lot of things has been beautiful. And that's stuff I'm going to miss. I mean, lying next to my girlfriend in the morning and not rushing and getting all this affection and sleeping in my own bed. And I'm going to miss the shit out of that, man. It's, it's made me so much more grateful and I have much more of a sense of home because of it. But I think, you know, the flip side is once this thing starts rolling again, I think there's going to be a new appreciation for it as well. So I'm trying to find that balance. I'm trying to take what I've learned and move forward. Um, you know, as far as when touring starts up again. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. I think that, um, yeah, I think there was so many things, there were so many things that we took for granted in the touring life. Uh, and I touch on that quite a bit on this last solo record. The idea that, and just even standing there in front of your wardrobe case, putting your clothes on, talking, joking around with the guys as, as you prepare to kind of, you know, do what you do on the stage and, and, uh, yeah, I, within a few weeks, I I missed that. I missed the silly banter back and forth and the dumb jokes and all of that. So yeah, I I, I think it's definitely um, taught me not to take any of that for granted. Because yeah, it can just be taken away from you in an instant. You know. Yeah, and, and those are those are the moments, though, right? It's the, sometimes it's the simple things like that camaraderie backstage before you get on stage. Sometimes there's more magic than the actual show, depending on the night, but. I love those moments. I really love those moments or the moments where you're, you know, a couple of you guys are awake early in the morning and the bus is still rolling. And you're watching the, the scenery go by you're like, wow, this is my life. It's crazy. I love you know those. I, you know what I don't miss are some of the uh, backstage bathrooms. 
<laughs> oh my lord right oh man yeah don't get me started on that yeah it's horrible right i mean even more so for us i'm sure <laughs> and, and those sandpaper towels that they sometimes uh, give you they're drying your body yeah. with them it's just like tearing your skin down <laughs> it, it's on such a minuscule level compared to what you guys do but having just this weekend myself got back to djing after 18 months of being away from it it was so crazy how it felt like a huge part of my soul had been left unnourished for so long. And it, as soon as it was back, I was like, oh, this is what I'm meant to do. This is what I do. This is kind of my calling. And it's just, it's immediate and it's such a beautiful feeling. Um, and yeah, when you guys get to do the thing that you do, um, which I'm sure won't be too far away now, it's such an amazing like flooding back of, oh yeah, this is kind of what I've been doing my whole life. And it's felt like it was kind of going for a while, but it's right here and it's on and let's just throw myself back into it wholeheartedly. It's an amazing feeling. It really is. I, a few weeks ago I had to do, not had to, I got to do two shows, but it was supposed to be a longer run and long story short, it got it, the, the two, a few of the days got pulled and we we're like, well, we can cancel this short run. I was just like, no, we, we've got to do these shows. We're going to, we're going to find a way to do this. So I was like, I'm just going to show up with an acoustic guitar. We're going to drive to get to the gigs in a minivan. We're going to do this. This is going to be great. And and uh, at my my manager, he was his idea as well. I mean, he's 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 Tim's hardcore, when I, which I love about him. And uh, so we play in, in in Lincoln, Nebraska, and Kansas City. And the first show was in Kansas City. And I don't, I'm sure you know the Agora the Agora Theater. Oh yeah. oh yeah, cool place. And and I remember just not really sure what to expect. And the minute I walked out on stage, I mean, they were so the electric. The, the crowd was. I mean, it, I felt like a beetle in nineteen sixty. Shea Stadium. Yeah. yeah, I was like, oh, is somebody else here that I don't know. About? I mean, somebody standing <laughs> behind me. What's going on here? And and uh, and it was just magical. And I think that that was that was the moment that made me. It's like, oh this is what this feels like. It's that fellowship of music and we're all like-minded individuals standing in a room together, celebrating music. And this is as good as it gets right here. I love it. You use the word fellowship. I feel that really pulls this whole thing back full circle. That's beautiful <laughs> fellowship. Yeah. I, you know, that energy you get from other people. And when you're all there for the same, the same reason, you know, you're there performing, they're there to receive it, but isn't it that energy they give you back that just gives you the sense of like, fulfillment and purpose that I miss that more than anything I'd say more than anything is that that energy when you've connected with people and you can see that they're giving you just as much as you're giving them sometimes more depending on the night and what a beautiful thing that is fellowship so beautiful and look I mean this is fellowship this is that this is the connection I mean humans it's weird for those of us who are kind of uh you know, we're talking about the the reclusive ten the tendency to to disappear and be by yourself, and that's great. But I feel like this is just as crucial. And and standing on a stage and 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 enjoying that entire uh, ritual, because yeah, humans are just. I guess we're hardwired to connect to some degree. It's just. I, I think that our the dopamine just starts, you know, firing in the brain, and and uh, it's it probably harkens back to when we were hunter gatherers. You know, you'd work all day, and then you'd all get together around the campfire, and you'd talk about what you did, and there was this community. And I think that that's uh, 
that's just very much a part of being a human being. But we get to do it on stage with loud amps and loudspeakers and <laughs> tell people, put your hands in the air. It's great. Their hands in there. And you're like, okay, I'll never forget that. It's funny. It's a, a real moment too. We're like, I remember rejoining Killswitch and having those guys backstage be like, make sure you just tell the audience what to do. You know, because coming back into this role, you know, after I hadn't been touring in a much smaller band, like playing big shows and it just was kind of a running joke for me. Like I would just say weird shit, like clap your hands and, you know, just whatever. And they would do it. And it's like looking back and they're like, yeah, just keep doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Did you ever feel, because sometimes I would feel self-conscious doing that. It took me a long time to embrace that. Like, because some of that, you know, I know I do some of those some people call them cliches, but what else are you going to say? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, and, and, uh, I think that, um, people want that. They want yeah. that, that, oh, let, because they know that then they're part of the show. Yes. Yeah. No, I 100%. Because when I first rejoined, I used my drink as like the sociable thing, which I don't do that anymore. I try not to. But I used to always have a drink because I would get nervous. Like, I didn't want to do the typical, like, I'll make some noise. I never wanted to be that guy. I was like, cheers. And I would drink. And then like Adam, you know, thankfully I got Adam who would just yap, yap away. But yeah, now I do, all, I do fairly typical cliche things, but I'm doing it without a drink. And I'm like, really make, trying to like, look at you and like, we're here together right. and pulling the audience in. And once you do that, the, you can, the shows get better. They do. Cause you're right. People want to participate. They're not just there, especially rock music. You know, they're not just there to like quietly go, oh, this is very nice. They want to be seen and heard too. It's it's a beautiful thing. It is, it is. Yeah, give them a show, right? Yeah, That's right. And make them part of the show. Yeah, totally. Man, what a pleasure! I know that you're out. You got uh, a small amount of time here, but we could go on and on. And I, I just physically feel it's probably time to let you go. But uh, man, what a pleasure! It's really nice seeing your face, and you know, I I love the solo stuff, man. I'm new to it. Um, but I love it. And it's it, that first record really got me. I haven't really digested the second one. Um, but man, I've always been a fan and I love what you've done with Alter Bridge. Those guys are great too. Good people. Very good uh, people. So thanks for being one of the good ones, Miles. It's a, it's always a pleasure. And I can't wait to that day when we're at a festival and I see you and we're like, ah, that's going to be a really fun moment for me. I can't wait as well. And uh, yeah, this has been really I've needed this, frankly, guys. I, I appreciate, I appreciate uh, this discussion because my soul, I needed this. You guys are awesome. Awesome folks. You need it too, bro. <laughs> yeah. That's why we do it. We always walk away from it feeling so much, you know, empowered and connected and inspired and yeah, less alone. That's the goal. There you go. There you go. Please come back on again, you know, in a year or so down the line and, and we'll continue this discussion then, man. Thank you so much for, yeah, as, as Jesse said, gracing the show with your wisdom and humanity and humility. You are one of the good ones in my friend. Hell yeah, brother. Sorry, y'all. This has been really special. Thank you, guys. All right, brother. All right. Take Cheers, care. Mars. Peace. <laughs> on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods 
for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.